you sports buffs, I'm going to do this real quickly, and then I, we have got to fly, so there's a lot of material to cover here. In June of 1980, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberta Duran fought for the first time. And, and Sugar Ray Leonard was decided he was going to show Roberta Duran that he was tougher than him. He was going to fight his game, and he wound up losing. They, re, they had a rematch in November of 1980. At this time, Sugar Ray Leonard did his float like a butterfly, sting like a B. Ali thing, and just made a fool of Roberta Duran until finally in the eighth round, Roberta Duran gave up. And do you remember what he said, Eddie? No mas. Well, three weeks ago, Charlie taught. Two weeks ago, his pastor friend taught. Last week, Dan taught. Sorry, no mas. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. I'm telling you. You look up at that, and your pastor friend, what's his name? Man, that was great. If I'm ever in that area, I'm going to see him. Okay, I want to give you a brief history. I think just as when we had um, the Sermon on the Mount, which are, these are the notes that I shred, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's important for you to understand the culture and the times and what was going on and what was actually happening there at that well. If you don't, these words are just going to fly over your head and go, okay, whatever. Uh, so that's part of what I want here to lay out here. But real quickly, and uh, I've got to really move. The history of the Samaritans and the Jews, and I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. They came into conflict with one another. And there became a northern tribe with basically nine and a half tribes. Nine tribes plus half the Levites. A southern tribe, uh, the southern part of Israel, the, which they called themselves the Jews. And that was two tribes. It was uh, Dan and Benjamin, I think, and the half tribe of uh, the Levites. So you had the northern tribe and the, I say the northern tribes and the southern tribes there. In the south was Jerusalem. In the north here was the Shechem and these areas. At one point, both sets of tribes, I'm going to call them tribes, the north and the south, they both were led into captivity because of their sin and because of the anger that God had toward them and led them off into, into captivity. The Jew, the, I'm going to call the Jews the south tribe. The Jews came back and settled back, and they were allowed to come back in, in Jerusalem, and they reestablished their worship at Jerusalem. Now, the northern tribes were taken off by the Assyrians, and they intermarried with the Assyrians, Gentiles. So when they came back, they had intermarried with the Assyrians, and that made them Gentiles, that made them unclean, and the Jews didn't want anything to do with them. The other thing that happened during this period of time was that the southern Jews identified themselves and said, we can prove we're Jews, and the way they did that was through the lineage of their father. So if anybody questioned that, you showed the lineage of your father, and you could show that you were, in fact, a true Jew and a Jew and an Israelite, and you could do it that way. But somehow, some way, when the northern tribe was carried by, away by the Syrians, they began to keep their records through the mother. So they were trying to prove their Jewish ancestry through their mother, and the people in the south would not accept that. So then we have another conflict here. They wouldn't accept the fact that they were 
quote, real Jews, even though they were intermarried with the Gentiles, because they couldn't prove their lineage through their father. So in, in became this conflict between them. Now, when the southern Jews in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra began to rebuild the temple and began to rebuild Jerusalem, the people from the north came back and said, we would like to help. We want to help you build this. And they went, we don't want any part of this. You can't be here. You can't help us. You can't prove you're real Jews. And I believe it's Ezra chapter 4 where they basically tell them, go away. We don't want you here. You're not going to be here. You can't help us rebuild this temple. So they decided to get back at them. And they did everything they could to subvert what the tribes in the south were doing to rebuild Jerusalem. So as you can see, they did not get along very well. So that's a quick synopsis and a quick history of the problems that they were facing with one another and why they didn't get along. And you will see that that's part of the quizzical nature of this Samaritan woman at the well when she starts asking him questions in this, in this interaction there. They were considered unclean. Um, also, women at the time of Jesus, which that's all these lines are left up for your notes. Basically, this, this was it. Oh, wait, I forgot something. Also, the southern tribe, because they wanted to make sure they did not get carried away again into captivity, they developed a system to make sure they never sinned again. And that was the Pharisaical system. And that's where that came in. The guys in the north went, we don't want that. We don't think that's proper. We don't think that's a proper way to worship. We don't think that's what we're supposed to do. We don't want that. So then there's that, again, there's more problems between them because they didn't want that Pharisaical oversight. They wanted to worship as they had worshiped in the past. So there's another point of contention that they had between them. Jerusalem, the temple was rebuilt. In the north, they built a temple up in Shechem there at Mount Gerizim. And it was later destroyed. And it had been destroyed for 150 years by the time this thing is happening at the well. Real quickly about women, they basically had no rights at this time. They had no rights. They could not, basically could not go out in public. They had to be at home. If a, if a Jewish man was to be seen talking to a woman in the street, he would get condemned. Uh, their theory was is that if a man and a woman talked in the street, then that was going to lead to illicit relationships, therefore you just don't do it. So women were basically told to stay in your house. I, I, I don't know why they think that's a woman's fault, why they had to stay in the house. Why didn't the man go stay in the house, you know? But anyway, that's part of that thing. You don't talk to them. There were very few places that women were allowed to go out in public. They could go to the temple and be there. Going to draw water at the well, they could do that. And there was another one that they could be at, the first lesson we had, the wedding. They were allowed to go to wedding feasts. So when you start talking about this, they were allowed to go to wedding feasts, they were allowed to go to the temple and do some worship, and they were allowed to go to wells like this. But basically, they were told, go home and stay in the house and stay out of the way. And uh, that was part of that growing Pharisaical thing, and it, it was really bad. So they were very uh, condemned and very poorly treated 
at the time that Jesus enters into the sea. Um, okay, you need to know just real quickly, if I think you've got that, the name of God, just keep that there by you. That's going to be important in, in a moment. Uh, for All these things were lining up. For something to be living water, the water had to have movement, either through it, in it, or out of it. So that's, it had to have movement. So that's what was living water. So if it was just a pool that was sitting there, neither water coming in or coming out, it was stagnant. It was not living water. Uh, Jacob's well, that was one, it's one of the most authentic places in the Holy Land in Palestine. And those two things, John calls it both a well, which is pege in John 4, 6, and a cistern. And a cistern could also be uh, living water because something was coming out of it. Water would go into it by rain or springs. It also would come out of it. And, uh, but in Jacob's well, Jacob's well was also fed by a series of springs. This thing was about 135 feet deep. And there were springs all in this area, and it was fed by springs. And that's part of why it was called living water. Or it could be called living water because these springs. And if you'd think these young ladies who were coming out to get water were frail, they were not. Because it's 135 deep, 35 feet at the bottom. The water was up to about 100 feet, and they were having about a five-gallon jug, and they had a rope on it, and they would lower it down in there and pull it up. And if you know, the water weighs about eight pounds a gallon. That's 40 pounds plus the weight of the jug, and they're having to pull that up about 100 feet. That was a pretty, pretty sturdy. That's right. Ugh, pretty sturdy. I had some guns on them. Okay. And, um, okay. And if you'll remember... When we're talking about it was okay for a man to talk to a woman at a well. I've given you Genesis 24 there where Abraham sent his servant out to find a wife for his son. And they met at the well and then all this conversation about give me a drink of water. And there are multiple times in the Bible where this is, this is happening. It was a custom. Basically, if you, you want to meet a woman, you want to find a woman for a wife for your son or yourself, you go to the well. You sit at the well, you start talking. If you say, give me a drink of water, and she kind of looks at you like, oh, okay. Then, uh, you know, you kind of think, you know, you're, you're in, you know, you might be doing well. But if she kind of goes, eh, whatever, you know, you know, go get your own, then it's, it's probably not on. So that, that was a very common thing for people to do at that time. So that's, that's a, a background. So, and I left you notes in between these verses here so you could put things in. So let's go, and I really got to move here. I'm going to be talking very fast if I'm not right now. Um, let's start with verse 6. It, was, uh, it says the sixth hour. If John had known he was going to cause so much confusion by saying it was the sixth hour, he would never have said that. Uh, because there's a question, was he you in Jewish time of sixth hour or Roman time about the sixth hour? The sixth hour is in Jewish time is noon, the sixth hour of Roman time is 6 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, he's caused all this confusion, but I tend to think it's at noon because they would not have had time to do what they were doing after 6 p.m. and going to town. So, okay. So here we are. A Samaritan woman, verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now we'll look at this. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Do you see what looks to be a conflict there? 
in verse 8 and verse 9 and the things that are in parentheses, the disciples are going to town to buy food. But this is saying the Jews don't associate with Samaritans. What's the difference? It's simply this. They were allowed to go buy from the Samaritans, but they were not allowed to take anything gratuitously from the Samaritans. To do such was a sin, and the Samaritans were considered unclean, so anything that they would have received from the Samaritans would have been unclean. So here is a triple conflict with the woman when he comes, when he sits there and he says, will you give me something to drink? Will you give me a drink? First of all, several things are going on. Is he there because he's interested in marriage? Is this what this is about? Secondly, this is a Jew talking to Samaritan. She's unclean. He's not supposed to be talking to a Samaritan. She recognizes him as a Jew. But for him to talk to her and even do this, he's unclean. Secondly, thirdly, if he is to drink from her vessel, then he will be unclean. She knows all that. Everybody knows all that. So there's a conflict here. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman. Basically, she's going, what are you doing? What is going on? Why are you asking me for a drink? I don't understand. She doesn't understand. How can you ask me for a drink? And the operative word is ask because a Jew wouldn't accept anything from a Samaritan unless they purchased it. And especially from a woman. And it would not be unusual for somebody to ask her for a drink, but this was a Jewish man asking for a drink, and he was asking it for a gift. I'm not going to pay for it. Will you give me a gift of free water? So she is in a triple quandary here. I don't know what's going on. What are you doing? Okay, you see her quandary? Is this about marriage? Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? I'm a woman. And how do you ask me for free water under these circumstances? So she's really in a dichotomy here. Then Jesus comes back, and that's why Jesus said, if you knew the gift, and that's why he uses the word gift, because when he's asking her for the water, he's asking for a gift. He's asking for a gift of water. He comes back and says, if you knew the gift of God, and here that word gift is dorea, and it's only used here in the gospel accounts, and it signifies a free gift. So he has taken his language to her and has brought it back to her. If you knew the free gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Remember, he's asking her to draw out living water for him freely as a gift. Now he's telling her, I can do the same thing for you. So he associates these blessings with the who suggesting that she was talking at this very moment to someone special who was at Pazdori Lab. So he's talking about, it's not the water, it's me. 
It's me here. If you knew who you were talking to, I'm the who. If you knew who you were talking to, I got to move, I got to move. Then she becomes positive. She's going, well, you don't have anything to get this water out of the well, and uh, how can you get this living water? How are you going to get out? You don't have any tools. How are you going to do this? Are you greater than Jacob? Part of that was because at one point in that time, in, in the history of Jacob, something had happened, and that well filled itself up and came to the brim and it overflowed. And I think that's kind of what she's saying here is, are you greater than Jacob? But the, our father... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the father. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you greater than him? Jesus comes right back to her and says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's living water. I'm giving you living water. And again, look at the word, spring of water, because there were springs of water that fed this well. All of these things he's using to try to get her to understand this well versus my well. And the comparisons and the similarities between this well and that well. Then the woman said to him, sir, give me, and there should be this interposed in here. She says, sir, give me this gift of this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And the problem here is she hasn't understood yet the spiritual implications of what Jesus is saying to her. She's still thinking of her physical needs and meeting them with less effort. She doesn't want to come there anymore. It's all about her physical needs. She hasn't caught on yet. He's already told her the who. He's already told her, I've got a free gift for you of eternal springing water into your soul, but she hasn't caught it yet. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. And I want you to notice something. And other times when she talks to him, she drops, she says, sir, to him. But look at, look at where the sir went here in verse 17. I think he aggravated her a little. Because she doesn't say, sir. She says, I have no husband. Okay, here we go again with the conflict. He, she doesn't understand. She's still wondering what's going on. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. All right, here's a couple of things she's going. Why would she say she has no husband? She's still not understanding the spiritual nature of what's going on. She's still under a belief or a hint that perhaps he's asking about marriage. Maybe he's asking about marriage here. Is he about the physical thing about marriage? Is he talking for himself or is he talking for someone else? Is this about marriage? Uh, either he's looking for a wife of his own or for someone else. And why she would say she's not married? If she married a Jew, her status would be raised immeasurably because she's a hated Samaritan. But if she becomes the bride of this Jewish person, her status is up. She becomes well, uh, well known, she becomes well looked at, and she raises herself and her physical status if she can marry this Jew. So by telling this half-truth, she's keeping her options open here, trying to decide you know, which way it's going on. This is a little boxing match. So it's, she's, it's the banter going back and forth here. And then he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. 
and she's exposed. And this is the same thing as, Adam, where are you? And that's basically what he's just said to the woman at the well. Where are you? He said, it wasn't that this is the only sin that was in her life. But he got to one that she knew that he could not have known except for his status. He didn't know her. Now, there's, there's some, in, some historians say that this lady, lady, lady later came to be well-known in the area and was an emissary for Christ, and her name was Fotinia or something like that. I don't know if you know about that. But anyway, he said that. You're right. You don't have a husband. And at this point, she knows she's exposed because he tells her everything about her. You've had five husbands, and who you are living with at this point is not your husband. And she realizes now, this man can actually see into my heart. He can see into my soul. And watch this. She reinstates that word, sir. She realizes she's talking to someone important. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Sometimes when I read that, I always want to go, duh. But, uh, but, but, for, but for her... He's talking about things they have never heard before because in talking to the Jews, he's going to the Jews as I'm the Messiah. Here he's coming to them as I am the salvation. So she goes, I perceive you're a prophet. Part of what's going on too is because of the other conflict I told you, the, the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That's what they accepted. They didn't accept the prophets and these other things. They only accepted those first five books. And in Deuteronomy 18:15, where they were talking that Jesus says there's going to be another prophet after Moses, and she's thinking along these terms. But now she's really considering the possibility that perhaps this man could be the Messiah. So how do we know? Here's where he brings the issue back to her. She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, that Mount Gerizim, which had been destroyed 150 years earlier. And we understand from what that history is, what was going on. But you Jews, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So now she's starting to state the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans again. And he says, woman, which is a, it's not a bad term when he says woman. It's a term of endearment. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He's saying that's going to go away. It's not a matter. It's not going to be a matter of where. It's going to be a matter of whom. Not Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem, not that temple, not this temple, but it's going to be a matter of whom. And the where is going to be within you. It's going to be there. And since, so the, you said, here, verse 22. This is so good, and uh, I've really got to move. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, since the knowledge of, parenthesis, since the knowledge of proper worship comes to the sacred scriptures, and they only accepted the Pentateuch. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. I want to paraphrase this because he has played with the word there, worship. He changes the tense of it while he talks to her. So here's what he says to her. 
you Samaritans do obedience to what you do not know. We worship, we worship being metaphorically when he says worship. He uses it in the tense that says, the kissing ground between the bride and the groom. The bride and the groom. Again, he's pointing her. I'm the groom, the bride of Christ. I'm using the worship here, that the kissing ground between the believers and Christ, the worship ground. It's like the bride and the groom. So he changes the tense of the words. You worship, you do obeisance to what you don't know, but we worship, the Jews worship what we do know, which is the living God who's going to be the bride of Christ in the church. And he says, for salvation. And here's where he's, he's coming to us, for salvation. And the word he's using here is saying God's rescue, which delivers the believers out of destruction and into his safety. safety. So let me, let me read this whole thing again. You Samaritans do obeisance to what you do not know. We metaphorically have this belief between the bride and the groom about what we do know. For God's rescue, which delivers believers out of destruction and into his safety, is from the Jews. So they've been, they've been taking, the Samaritans have been taking only that Pentateuch and not the law and the prophets and Psalms and these things that says, I am, I am him. And they had used that. But then he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And when he uses that word true, it's actually all capitalized. And it means knowing the Father in a correct way between you as the sinner and him as the Christ. So that true means that that factual, correct knowledge of who he is. And again, he said, it's not a matter of where you worship, but whom. And that's why Jeremiah said, it will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. A covenant they broke, even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and inscribe it on their hearts, and I will be the garden, they will be my people. She didn't know that. Been only accepting the Pentateuch. He's saying, you've got to accept it all. You have to know the fullness of God in order to get there. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now she's lighting up. She's beginning to understand. She's beginning to understand who he's talking to her. And who it is she's talking to. She says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's trying to say, basically, which one of these things is correct. But I want you to see what she did. Look at her again. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, to explain everything to us. She believed in the promise of the Messiah that he had, he had not come but was yet to arrive. And the Messiah would be a person, not an ideal concept as alleged by the modern Jews, and that the Messiah would be a 
teacher and not a military conqueror. So she did know something. And then he said, and then he said, Aheye Asher Aheye. I am. It's me. It's me. I'm standing here before you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm here. I am the one speaking to you. I'm Yahweh. Ego emi on. I am the Christ. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And look at what she did. She left that dirty vessel behind. And she ran into town as a new vessel, clean. And she goes in and she bears witness. When she says, could this be the Messiah, what she is saying is, this couldn't be the Christ, could it? She's going to tell him in a way, like Andrew said to Peter, come and see. Come and see if this is not the Messiah. She learned about Jeremiah 2, verses 13. Verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And that's what he just told her she was. You are a broken cistern, and you can't hold this living water in your current state. What are you going to do about it? <clears throat> Jeremiah 17, 18 Starting with verse 8, I'm going to skip over this. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. I want to get over here. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Jeremiah 17, verse, starting with verse 8. Later on, Jesus goes to John 7, 37, and at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he stands up and says on that day during the feast, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And that was at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that's when, during that time, that God had led Moses to lead them to a rock and touch the rock, and out came streams of living water. And he's saying, that's me again. So Isaiah chapter 12, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. She met him. She met him face to face. 